Let mankind beware. The energies of this mystical stone immersed in the blood of prey and shaped by the occult mastery have transformed me. I've become like a force unto nature, a triune entity, a god and man and beast in one. I am Dreadmond no more. Call me Starwolf. Dreadmond Druid, the dumbest name in possibly Marvel history. Bienvenidos and welcome to New Byland, a place for nerdy fun, friendships, and learning. I'm Professor T. And I'm Professor Z. Much like the starting zone of many video games, the goal of our island resort is to teach visiting noobs about geeky subjects, but away from the stress of having to worry about sweaty tryhards, griefers, know-it-alls, or neckbeards. We like to think of it as learning and luxury. Noob? Yes, Professor? Tell the rest of the class your name, what your favorite cover from this series was. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> And uh, what we're here to learn about. Uh, my name is The Noob, a.k.a. Mac. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just uh, embracing it now. Yeah. I'm here to learn about magic in the Marvel Universe, and I took a picture of my favorite cover. Uh, which on, works so well on an audio media. Which is part four of six of the Man and Wolf series with Captain America. Because uh, it'll give you a number up on top. It's either 406 or 407. I think it's 406. But that mouth... For reference, for those who haven't seen it, it is Captain America as a werewolf lifting a shield into the air, except for some reason they have blacked out his entire face, except for, like, his eyes and a overly lipped mouth. <laughs> you know what? It looks goofy. But I will defend it in that it looks a lot like wolf mouths in, like, medieval manuscripts. That is fair. That tracks. It's also iconic. I also would have just not put a mouth on him and just had glowing eyes, which I feel would... And maybe, like, the outlines of the ears. Yeah. You could have done the teeth, like, fangs still, but not... As I said, it's, like, the lips that make it. I feel the same way with Star Wolf. His mouth shouldn't have been there. It should have just been a circular hole, like a black hole, and words coming out. <laughs> I, don't like I don't like that. I don't like any part of that. So space-themed, and then teeth. I don't know if this is appropriate to say on this show, but I'm not swearing, so it's okay. That makes it sound like some weird wolf sex toy. There were some weird <laughs> culty sex vibes going on in that town. <laughs> Mark Grunewald for you. So, okay. Uh, before we dive into, if you don't remember from last time, we read uh, Cap Wolf for this episode right. as a kind of legendary werewolf story in Marvel. I said we weren't originally going to cover John Jameson III, uh, a.k.a. The Man Wolf. Because he's technically cosmic instead of magic, but I was looking him up to get a little more for this episode, and um, it's nuts, and it's he even if he's not magic himself necessarily, it's kind of vague in that like cosmic level. Um, he Is it kind of like Morbius, where he's science, but because... We'll get to it in a sec. It falls under, like, might be space science, might be magic, doesn't really matter, and he encounters terrible characters like Morbius often enough that I thought it'd be fun. And it's just too bonkers to not. Mm -hmm. I didn't know where else I was going to get to talk about this. So real quick, John Jonah Jameson, the third, AKA John Jameson, AKA the man wolf, AKA J Jonah Jameson's son, the astronaut. Yes. Uh, is also known as the man wolf. I will go into him and how he became that first, but he is powered by the God stone which is different than the Bloodstone, even if they look absolutely identical. We'll get to the Bloodstone in a few episodes, but it's a magic. I just, it's come up before. Yeah. The Godstone is the essence of the former god of Other Realm, which bestows the power of the Star God upon whoever it bonds to. Uh, and literally, it's just a god from a Other Realm known as the Other Realm. Like, Fair. Dark Dimension. With the uh, microverse, the dream dimension, oh, other that. place, the <laughs> other realm. <laughs> You're the god of that one. Uh, and it's literally the uh, a god. I don't even think a name was said here. 
was growing old and weak, so he opens a portal to leave the other realm and lands on the moon where he just kicks it. He's just like, huh. Relaxing to not be so... the ruler of other realm. I'm going to die on the... Peace, my, suckers. <laughs> my question is, and I because I don't know, I'm, I don't even know what issue this was from. Does he, like, go to the other moon and die peacefully, or is he, like, dying anyways and then goes to the moon and... That was, that was it. There's no life on the moon, like, no atmosphere, so he just... Ice froze, exploded to death. Maybe. I mean, we've seen... I doubt it, because God, but... You also, know. we've seen Strange just teleport up there and be absolutely fine. And then teleport back. Magic! Yeah. Magic. Although Blue he threw, zone? He threw that demon onto the moon, and that demon was not magic protected. No, because it's a demon. Something with the sun. I don't know. So, Colonel John Jameson, the son of Joan Jameson and J. Jonah Jameson, I just realized his mom's name was Joan. I am Joan, un- Jana- Joan Jameson is married to J. J. Jonah, Jonah Jameson, Jameson Jr.? Junior, whose son is John Jameson, the third. John Jonah Jameson the third. I'm just gonna call him John from now on. John is too much. I hate this family. (laughs) (laughs) I well, that does remind me. I knew a family growing up where every one of the kids was given their father's name as their middle name. John, my uh, my wife's cousin and his wife are both named Danny. Uh, One Hmm. of my middle names is my grandfather's name, John. And then my mom, both her sisters, and both her parents all are JJs. Uh, my brother-in-law, his family line is always either uh, jo- jo- uh, Joseph George or George Joseph, and it just swaps every generation. Yeah, see, the, the, the two boys were fine with their middle name being John. The gal wasn't so much, and uh, eventually had to change to Johanna. Hey. <laughs> oh, as a quick side note, if we're even more scattered than normal today, dear listeners, you two obviously already know this. We did not know we were doing the John Jameson section until I was reading about it today. So the level of planning is not where I usually try and be. <laughs> Anyways, John Jameson, the son of J. Jonah Jameson, as we already covered, is uh, a.k.a. the owner of the Daily Bugle and possibly Spider-Man's greatest enemy. Through yeah. large parts, he has created like six Spider-Man villains, which will come up in the story today. Keeps him on his toes. Uh, John was one of the youngest applicants to ever be accepted into NASA. Uh, and you have to remember during this, Marvel's version of NASA is way more intense in what they can do. They have like actual government funding or something. Weird. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Their NASA is what NASA should have been. There's yeah. a lot more random, like, he was on the moon recently. Like, I feel like that'd be a bigger deal than it is. Yeah. Uh, John goes on to a mission to orbit Earth. Unfortunately, the capsule he's piloting it loses its guidance packet, and uh, it spins out of control. Peter Parker, who was watching as, you know, Peter Parker, realizes what's happening and uh, becomes Spider-Man to jump in to save John. He installs a replacement unit, and John is able to land the craft safely. Despite the daring rescue, John's father had his newspaper be a jerk to Spider-Man by accusing him of staging the whole thing to steal the spotlight. This is like Spider-Man issue two. Wow. This is some of the earliest Spider-Man stuff, and it's actually been argued at some points in some of the early stuff. Jonah never liked Spider-Man, but this might have been one of the uh, inciting moments because Jonah thinks his son is possibly the greatest hero in the history of mankind. And he thought that Spider-Man purposely was stealing his son's thunder. It's a terrible argument for why they, why he hates him so much, but... Um, Interesting. It was one of the early like indications. On another space mission that just so happened to have... Uh, that, happen because again every other week he's launching into space there's not even the usual like okay spend a couple of days in the decompression chamber it's not actually decompression chamber but like the you know whatever the fuck you Mm -hmm. have to do to recover from being weightless for a week and a half uh jameson contracts an unknown virus that increases his strength to superhuman levels so tony stark designs him what's known as the jupiter suit which is basically just a spaceman uniform in yellow and green without the helmet 
to help keep his strength in check. When it appears that Spider-Man was involved in a bank robbery, Jonah persuades his son to use his strength to uh, take out the web-slinger and become a public hero. Big hero number seven. John agrees, but after two encounters, Spider-Man manages to neutralize the virus in Jameson's body with a high dosage of electricity. I don't know how any of that... Electricity. Yes. Let me fry you. (laughs) He electroshock therapied a space virus out of John. Good for John. That's the cure for COVID (laughs) they don't want you to know about. Yep. Doctors hate it. So mad at both of you. <laughs> Jameson's then sent out on a secret mission to the moon. Again, I get that just <laughs> the happens. Moon. Secret to the moon. While collecting lunar rock samples, he encounters a glittering red gemstone and decides to bring it along. Back on Earth, he talks with a colleague who worked in the quarantine center and just got him to agree to give him the unique gemstone that he found on the moon. He's like, here's this round red like, perfectly spherical rock. That's probably not one of the most interesting discoveries on the history of the moon. Yeah. Can I keep it? Well, it sounds like he goes out there, like, every other week. Slip so you a fiver. He's like, I'm I'm sure there's more. I'm up there all the time. I'll just keep an eye out. You can have this one. Give me a I'll week find week. another one, I'm sure, like, next week. Couple things to note. This was written during probably the 60s, maybe the mm-hmm. 70s, like... Space travel was brand spanking new in some cases, not even really fully happening yet. If nothing else, I'll run into some strange energies. So uh, it didn't seem so wild because everyone thought that space travel was just going to be a normal thing. and There wouldn't be a 50 year gap between going to the moon and then trying again. Here we are. Please try again. Anyways. After acquiring the gemstone, a.k.a. the godstone, though he doesn't know that yet, he makes it into a pendant and begins wearing it around his neck. On the first night of a full moon after his return, the lunar luminescence reacts with the pendant and causes him to transform into the man-wolf and lose control of his actions. He also still has the, like, yellow and green spacesuit thing going on, but because it tears because he turns into the man-wolf, it pretty much becomes a, like... Sleeveless and legless bodysuit, so like a, you know that like superhero mm-hmm. outfits that's kind of like the yeah. full piece bathing suit, in yellow and green stripes and on a werewolf. Nice. Not really. At least he's not naked. After coming to, John realizes that he can't take the pendant off anymore since it grafted itself onto his skin. Yummy. So for the next few months, John transforms into the man-wolf during the uh, nights of the full moon. Soon, however, as the man-wolf attacks his fiancée, Christine Saunders, who I don't think will be mentioned again in this, uh, and fights with Spider-Man, the costume crime fighter, a.k.a. Spider-Man, tears the pendant from man-wolf's chest, not realizing that it was grafted to his skin. Ow. Almost tears his throat out in the process of the way it doesn't want to come off. As Man-Wolf reverts to his human form, Spider-Man throws the pendant in the Hudson River. John eventually makes a full recovery, but is once again afflicted by the curse of the Man-Wolf. Nobody's making good decisions with this thing, are they? It's about to get worse. (laughs) He's once again afflicted by the curse of the Man-Wolf when Michael freaking Morbius recovers the gemstone and exposes Jameson to it. And probably a few (laughs) needles in the process. Morbius. (laughs) Morbius, what you doing, my boy? Uh, Get back on my discard deck. <laughs> Why are you in the river? He's hoping to use the uh, man's uh, the man wolf as his pawn in a scheme to cure himself of his vampiric affliction. Surprise, surprise. At least it did not involve injecting himself with bat blood. I was about time. to say that. Five dollars, he hopes Spider-Man shows up so he can get Spider-Man's blood. Uh, he's defeated by Spider-Man, so Spider-Man does show up, but both man wolf and Morbius escape. Oh. I hate it when good guys fight. <laughs> <laughs> Jameson eventually finds his way to Georgia, where he begin, uh, where he becomes involved in a skirmish between S.H.I.E.L.D. and the original Hatemonger, which was a man that literally had the ability to stoke racial tensions. You know, for the time, that was probably a very apt character to write in the comics. Oh, no, it, it's very direct. It is... You know, it's still, it is still actually a very oh. apt character I'm sure to write it, it was. I'm sure it was clunky because it was Jack Kirby when he came back in the 70s. 
and was writing his own stuff. And Jack Kirby's amazing, but he's a clunky writer. But he was pulling no punches whatsoever. Fair. And this is the civil rights movement. So Mm -hmm. anyways, Nick Fury escorts Jameson to NASA headquarters and offers to drop charges against him if he agrees to assist on a secret mission. Uh, fixing a communications breakdown with an orbiting space station. Jameson accepts the deal and is sent into space. He gets, an or- he gets to the orbiting space station and learns that the installation has been boarded by three extra-dimensional humanoids named Garth, Lamber, and Garjoon. Garth? Garth. Brooks? Like, that's an odd man out Like right Aqualad, there. yes. Yeah. No, probably it's not Aqualad, but Aqualad. The only good Garth. Garth, Lamber, and Garjoon... Uh, tell him that they came from the gemstone's home dimension. So Jameson accompanies them back to the portal that goes back to their dimension, which is on the moon. Oops. Crash landing on the moon, Jameson, who at this point had been permanently transformed into the man-wolf because he got too close to the moon. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. You know what? It's hard to argue that one. <laughs> sure. <laughs> he went to space knowing the moon is always there. <laughs> Transforms into the man-wolf due to the close proximity of the moon's rays. What with being on the moon. Because there's moon rays. We don't talk about it. It's like dark matter. Khonshu probably can shoot rays. <laughs> Who are you to tell Khonshu he can't shoot rays? I... Damn it, Khonshu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, they find the portal to the other realm, and to his amazement, he discovers that in this dimension, he keeps his human consci- consciousness while transformed. Yeah as he learns that he has become the successor of Star God, the former ruler of the Other Realm. Jameson helps free the denizens of the dimension from their would-be conqueror, Arison Turk. Jameson then utilizes the gem's full power to teleport him back to Earth. In a very Dorothy coming back from Oz, even though why would you want to? That sounds so much better than Black and White Kansas. Yeah. <sighs> Dang it, Toto. <laughs> Back home, Jameson finds that he's uh, transforming into the savage man-wolf again, and with the gemstone's power having been expended and fulfilling its purpose, I it's purpose. guess with the whole, I saving don't know, people, yeah, I saving people, going back to the other world, creating a successor star god that chooses to just go be a pissed-off werewolf. And So is the other star god a werewolf? I don't know. It doesn't say. Probably that because there's nothing to eat. <laughs> Anyways, it's killing him now. Cool. Of course it can. He just makes the wrong decisions with it. Sinking beneath the surface of his skin and poisoning him. Oof. That doesn't sound good. Right? I was imagining bubbly skin. It's just like... (laughs) Anyways, to prevent the situation from getting worse, his father, J. Jonah, has John placed in cryogenic suspension because J. Jonah Jameson has access to wild technologies for a single newspaper magnate (laughs) in New York City. You know what? It feels more and more like he was like a Jap at how people who run news corporations are just politicians. <laughs> and so now he has access to what, you know, rich politicians would have access to. I think originally he might have just been taking jabs at Martin Goodman, the publisher of Marvel. Hey. I'm not sure on that one, but... Mm-hmm. Not look where everybody is. <laughs> uh, this, however, backfires when Spencer Smythe, a.k.a. the creator of the Spider Slayers releases John, hoping to hurt Jonah or his son, because Spencer Smythe holds a grudge because Jonah Jonah pays him to do the Spider Slayer and it backfires and he decides it's Jonah's fault. Right. You have to remember, Jonah's created like six supervillains to kill Mm Spider-Man. The Spider Slayers, the Scorpion, the Fly, a few others that don't matter. The Fly barely matters. He he does not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> he's got the acid spit though which I always thought was cool when I was a kid Ew. right anyways he disappears as the man wolf after Spencer Smythe releases him uh, but when he returns months later Spider-Man enlists the aid of Dr. Kirk Connors aka the lizard and the two gave John a radiation treatment that makes the gemstone be rejected by his body successfully freeing him of the curse I'm gonna give you chemo until this gem falls out Thanks, Doc. During this time, John Jameson joins the support staff for the Avengers, becoming Captain America's personal pilot. Mm -hmm. Because during this era, he had a whole... There's a whole support staff. The Avengers have a, like, secretary and 
Jarvis. actual security person, and yet Jarvis is running things instead of these days where it's like, a robot. we have a mansion that Jarvis takes care of, and sometimes, and the rest of the time, I guess it's just up to us. It'll get blown up in a month anyways. It's funnier to think about it that way, because then it's them going and having to do dishes and all that stuff. Grocery shopping. Yeah. Yeah, but you know they just give it to the new kid every time. Like, Okay, Morbius, you're trying to clean the bathrooms again. <laughs> Come here, Druid. <laughs> oh, God. They got the trash. Anyways, during this time, he goes by the uh, appropriately cutesy uh, call sign of Skywolf. It's kind of cute. Yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying it's overly cutesy. During this time, he's temporarily transformed into the Man-Wolf by Dreadman Druid, who we will talk about soon, who wanted the power of the Star God. Jameson, okay, according to Wikipedia, it says that Jameson left the uh, Captain America's employee due to his attraction to Cap's then-girlfriend, the reformed villain Diamondback. Oh. But that's not what they said in the issues we read at all. Right. So I don't know if that came up later of, like, I lied through my teeth to you about being worn out dealing with superheroes and kind of traumatized. I really just wanted to sleep with your girlfriend. We cool? Probably forget. Yeah, maybe it he, comes up later, but that's not that, what That's we 100% at. not what it is. <laughs> Unsure with what to do with himself, John considers becoming a costume hero or a private adventurer. Because at this point, he is like half into the... What's a private adventurer? Uh, that's a guy who basically just goes Basically, Croft Tomb Raider? But you get paid? A lot of times, uh, private adventurer tends to be someone who gets involved in the superhero life, the spandex life, but isn't directly a superhero. Like, if Nick Fury ever went solo, he would be considered, like, a, a private adventurer, a costume adventurer. I'm sorry, um, Cap. I just can't deal with superheroes right now, and I have some personal trauma. So one of the jobs I'm possibly thinking about picking up is becoming a superhero. Yes. So I can deal with my personal trauma. Well, also in the whole thing, he was talking about how, like, he thought that if he hung out with superheroes, maybe he could become one himself. Or, mm -hmm. like, you have to remember, J. Jonah Jameson thinks that he is the greatest human to ever live. Growing up like that has to mess you up. Yeah, uh, example 5,432 of why his dad's an absolute <laughs> terrible person. <laughs> I should have you read the run where he finds out that Peter is Spider-Man and becomes Spider-Man's ally, but is a giant jerk about it still. <laughs> I would love to see that. It's actually really great. He's like, anyways. <sighs> Fine. I hate you, but okay. Anyways, instead of becoming a costumed hero or private adventurer, he becomes the chief of security for the Ravencroft Institute of Criminally Insane. Bro, just go flip burgers for a bit. <laughs> Figure stuff out. You're a former astronaut. You can probably just take a vacation. Or you can go and just give advice to people. Your dad's weirdly rich. Like, you don't have to... Do do adverts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, the Ravencroft Institute is Spider-Man's version of Arkham Asylum. Which and if anything, it's more murdery than Arkham Asylum is. Poor Spider-Man. Like this is that's not a low stress job. <laughs> Actually, that's probably it's the highest stress job you could probably find there. Which is probably why it doesn't go well for him. Uh, he ends up working closely with the director, Ashley Kafka, and they begin dating. John continues to be a pawn of Spider-Man's enemy as he's possessed by the Carnage symbiote, nice. brainwashed by Mad Jack, who is uh, Mysterio's crappier cousin. Nice. After Mysterio dies, and they make it sound like, oh, uh, I I'm going after the people that killed him. But Mysterio shot himself in the head, so, like... Whatever <laughs> the people that killed up found him. Job's done. Mysterio's cousin... Steals the jack-o'-lantern outfit, which is the, like, knockoff mm. of the knockoff of the Green Goblin. Mm -hmm. Sweet. And becomes Mad Jack. Not gonna lie, I kind of like the jack-o'-lantern outfit. I don't hate it, but it is the, like... It's fun. It is. He's C-list at yeah. best. And this is not even the original jack-o'-lantern. I think he's someone that I would see the cops arrest at a bank and just, you know, walk out. Uh, he's also manipulated by Judas Traveler, who thinks that he is a somewhat Charles Manson-esque reality warper, but is actually a mutant that gives off illusions that were so effective that he tricked himself. Oh, okay. 
That's really That's sad. actually a really interesting idea. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't sell very well, but it like could have been really cool. Both John and Ashley were fired by a director angry about how the escape of the chameleon and his subsequent wounding by the second Craven the Hunter. So, Craven's worst son... Because Craven has three kids. <laughs> Craven's fail son? <laughs> yes. This one called himself the Grim Hunter. Oh, and I had hate him already. a, uh, like, techno-metallic-powered vest. Yeah, like, it's a vest... And like Craven's, it's got kind of a lion motif, but it kind of looks like instead of I killed a lion and installed lasers in its eyes to shoot at Spider-Man while I wear it as a vest, I killed and skinned Voltron. Okay. <laughs> I gotcha. It's pretty cool. He has a mechanic or a metallic lion's vest. It's the worst. And a big long ponytail because it was 1995. Uh, via hypnotherapy, Kafka helps him realize that Jack-O-Lantern had caused him to attack his hospitalized father. This therapy also briefly unleashes the man-wolf before Ashley is able to help John suppress his changes once more. The next time we see him is around the era of the superhuman civil war, where he helps out Captain America being old-school allies. You know what? I'm kind of down with the outfit. The Grim Hunter? Yeah. So I just had to again, look it up. See, maybe I have... I mean, okay, so one, I was wrong. I hadn't looked at it in a while, but he does have a giant metallic lion's head. It's not the vest like I thought it was. I think it looks real good. It's 1995. It Yes. No, <laughs> it does look straight out of 95. He looks like... Uh, actually, he kind of looks like he could be on Wildcat, Wildcats. I think I would like it better if it wasn't Craven's crappiest son. Anyways, during this time, he's also assisting She-Hulk in locating and signing up unregistered superheroes. So he's recruiting the Superhero Registration Act while helping Captain America fight the Superhero Registration Act. Not really being, like, successfully undercover, but kind of just... Being. Aiding both sides and making the situation worse? Sounds good. <laughs> God, reading this out loud, John is not a good person. No. It's from because of his dad. <laughs> Uh, he also registers as the Man-Wolf under the SHRA. During this time, the villain Stegron temporarily trans... Stegron the Dinosaur Man, I just have to say that out loud. Temporarily transforms him into the Man-Wolf as a side effect of his latest mad scheme to devolve the entire population of New York City. During this time, he attacks Mary Jane and Aunt May in Avengers Tower, but is subdued by Tony Stark's guardsmen before he can harm them. Reed Richards then cures him in this form. Aunt May and Mary Jane were living in the tower at the time, and as a note, the guardsmen are basically Wish.com versions of Iron Man armor that Tony Stark sells to be, like, prison guard armor for superhero prisons. Gotcha. Super villain prisons. Yeah, yeah. During that era, both. <laughs> He's been dating She-Hulk, and the two were living together, along with She-Hulk's co-worker Augustus Pugli Puglis. Augie Pug, I'm just going to call them. I don't think they come up again. They end up eloping in Las Vegas. However, John is forced into becoming the Man-Wolf after being injected by a mysterious substance courtesy of Alistair Smythe, the son of Spencer Smythe. Yes. Making this like the seventh or eighth... Forced Man-Wolfing? I was just going to say uh, being punked by the crappier Spider-Man villains. <laughs> after a brief rampage, John stops fighting in the situation his situation after being rendered unconscious when he was shot in the chest with a silver bullet, the two gun kid uh, by the two gun kid who mistook him for a werewolf and became the star God to save himself. Rampaging is a werewolf. The two gun kid goes a werewolf and shoots him with silver bullets. And he becomes the werewolf God to be okay. He's like, remember that thing I did in that other dimension that I gave up to come back here to be a mean, an angry werewolf. I'm just going to turn back into that again. Hey, that kid has two guns. I'm the, I'm the star wolf. The two gun kid is an old school Western Marvel character. <laughs> but yeah. Also, he might be the one that they decided to create a new Marvel Max version where he was explicitly gay. But they also turned him into the like most 1995 feminine gay man of all time. And it was just a wildly uncomfortable read. Because it was like an old school Western with him being like, well, I say that you just look so good in your chaps. And you're like, hmm. you're trying to make a statement here, man, but you are too straight to try to make this level of statement. <laughs> you like, can't do it. Can't do it. 
Anyways, while the Star God, he retains his intelligence while in man-wolf form, has the Star God's powers, and could switch between human and lupine forms at will. She-Hulk and Star God separate ap oh, and he starts just calling himself the Star God more often instead of the man-wolf. Like you do. Yeah. She-Hulk and Star God separate after she discovers that her feelings for John were influenced prior to the marriage by her former Avengers teammate Star Fox. I'm not 100% sure what goes on here, but one of Star Fox's main abilities is he can make you feel pleasure. Mm -hmm. uh, and he makes women... He, I think there's a whole love thing going on. I'm not sure quite what the deals are, but it's been pointed out that his powers are... Roofies? I was going to go with problematic, but it can be a little rapey. Yeah. Um, it's uh, not... Not a good power. Yeah. yeah. That's Thanos' brother. Tracks. It was supposed to be, like, Thanos is all about death and destruction, and well, he's about, Eros is all about love. But he's about balance, and that guy's all about not balance. <laughs> you've been reading, or you've been watching the movies, which mm. is very different in the comics. Thanos is in love with death and wants to kill everyone Heck as yeah. a love letter to death. <laughs> that can't go well for anybody. It doesn't. No. <laughs> Goes really not well for people. Anyways, she also learns that John had married She-Hulk in the hope of convincing her to just going back to being Jennifer Walters, even though he was somewhat aware that she didn't really want to do that, really reinforcing that he's not a good dude. In the comics, Jen is almost 100% She-Hulk anymore because she's just like, look at me. Why wouldn't I be? I'm a seven foot tall green superhuman and just as smart as I was before. Why would I ever go back? Fair. Same. I wouldn't go back. Yeah. Like, I've seen people use it as like, oh, they're trying to get away from dumpy Jennifer Walters. But no, I'm going with just full body positivity. Her being like, so I am. I'm hot as heck. <laughs> <laughs> I can crush that car. What else do you want me to do? <laughs> During this time, while well, he, he doesn't want her to be She-Hulk and he doesn't want to be Starhawk and, or Star God anymore because it renders him, quote, arrogant and savage, which is true. However, when she separates from him and rejects him, he does stay as the Star God and seeks adventure back in Other Realm. Uh, he resumes his human form and tries to reconcile with Jennifer because she was unable to turn into She-Hulk at the time, and he's like, that'll be fun, and she disagreed, and it didn't work out. Shocker. Deciding to go no, back that's into... a different character. Ah, oh, fair. But just about as dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Deciding that might as well be an astronaut again, I don't need to keep in training or anything, he rejoins NASA and is about to be sent into space when uh, Alistair Smythe and the Scorpion attack the ship, hoping to kill him as revenge on Jonah. He does survive, however, during this battle, his stepmother, Marla Jameson, the only Jameson not with a J name, is killed, and Jonah becomes even more unpleasant for a while. Instead, uh, she's an MJ. I quit the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, shortly afterwards, he's attacked on the Apogee One space station by co-workers who are being mind-controlled by Dr. Octopus. However, with the help of Spider-Man and the Human Torch, who are launched into space, sure, why not, yeah. Uh, they're able to save the day and the station crashes safely into the ocean with its, all its employees alive and well. He then joins the FBI's Symbiote Task Force as a specialist, a.k.a. I've been possessed by Carnage a couple of times, so I know what to do here. The answer being mostly be possessed by Carnage and watch everything go badly. Yeah. However, he does help them from stopping... He does help them stop Carnage from unleashing the Elder Gods... Okay, first, good on him. That's great. Is this all part of, like, like the Agent Anti-Venom and all that stuff? No, there was actually a Carnage miniseries where okay. it's literally Carnage uh, getting his hands on the Darkhold and traveling across the United States. Oh, wild, okay. Sounds fun. <laughs> I didn't read it because I don't care about Carnage, but the creative team was really good for a book like that. I'm just having flashback, or I'm having mental images of Carnage versus the Darkhold Redeemers. And one of them was in it. Oh, and the, the lesbian lead character who's Victoria. 
Oh, something like that. I yeah, don't remember. She, yeah. It's like her and John Jameson and someone else who okay. also doesn't matter. She's the coolest of them by far. John is later approached by the Black Panther, who gets him to join the Agents of Wakanda, which was essentially the uh, Avengers B-team. They would go deal with the problems that the Avengers were too busy to deal with or, like, collect intelligent for intelligence for the Avengers. They would do, like... They were the Avengers support team. Mm, okay. It included people like... Kazar and the head of the Dora Malahe, whose name I'm forgetting right now. That's not Nakia, it's the other one. Um, uh, Okoye? Yeah, Okoye. And the Wasp. They do stuff like Free Blade so he can join the Avengers. Oh, the Gorilla Man and Brew. Nice. Mm-hmm. It's a great team. Uh, he also assists Wasp in protecting Morbius when they're attacked by vampires in space. That's all I have. I haven't read the Agents of Wakanda miniseries, so you know as much as I do now. Okay. Jameson is then recruited into the Aberrant Crimes Division and sent to investigate strange doings in Doverton, Colorado. Meeting with former Sheriff Eric Morrill, Jameson learns that many of the people and animals that had been bonded to the Carter symbiote when Cletus Cassidy had attacked the town several years prior had had their spines torn out and that a strange cult called the Cult of Null had taken over the Last Chance Church. Meeting with the cult spokesperson, Sandra Deal, Jameson resolves to get a warrant, but awakes to find Morrill has been abducted. Arriving at the church, Jameson sees the townspeople have been inducted into the cult and had Morrill bound in the center of the room. Sandra Deal reveals herself as the supervillain Shriek, accompanied by the doppelganger, a.k.a. evil Spider-Man, with six arms and an angry tooth-filled mouth, like fang-filled mouth, gotcha. and he shoots razor webbing. Uh, and the leader of the cult is unveiled to be Carnage himself, bonding Morrill to his new symbiote. Jameson transforms into Man-Wolf, but the cultists revealed themselves to also be bonded with the symbiotes and infect him as well. Making, I believe, the third or fourth time he has now been possessed by the Carnage symbiotes. A few days later, Jameson awakes to, with amnesia to find that Doverton is in ruins and that Misty Knight has been sent to find him. Regaining his memories of what had happened, Jameson and Misty find that the cultists and the population of Doverton had been slaughtered by Carnage and his accomplices. Unknowingly infected by Carnage's symbiote, Jameson becomes a sleeper agent. While en route back to New York, Jameson, who's been infected by Carnage, is activated and takes out Misty, imprisoning her within the depths of the Ravencroft Institute. When the time comes, Jameson removes Misty's arm and sends her to be the meal of the newly resurrected Demo Goblin. If you do not know who Misty Knight is, she has a robot arm. That's not as grisly as it sounds at first sentence. It's still right. not good. It's still not good. Uh, you know, I took off your robot arm is different than like, I, I tore your off arm. your meat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I tore off your meat. <laughs> Misty surprises everyone by remotely activating the new sonic beam function in her arm. This distraction allows her to pick up her arm and escape, but not before Dima Goblin rips the arm off, leaving her without her superpowers once more. Dima Goblin and Jameson go after Misty and manage to find her, but Misty's able to make Jameson snap out of Carnage's control and turn on Dima Goblin. Jameson is then somehow able to get his old job back as head of security at Ravencroft once it was rebuilt after Mayor Wilson Fisk, a.k.a. the Kingpin of Crime. I feel like being possessed by carnage should disqualify you from certain security clearances. All of them. (laughs) He should be lucky to work in a McDonald's. And I'm not shaming McDonald's. It's just not very important to national security. Yeah. He's been proven not to be trustworthy. He's not good at this job. His dad got him that job. <laughs> the kingpin of crime got him this job. Yeah, but his dad probably works for the kingpin I, of crime. No, actually, they do hate each other. I will say this about Jonah. He does hate crime for a man that makes as many criminals as he does. <laughs> I don't remember how Wilson Fisk became the mayor. I didn't look that up for this because it's way off our subject. Right. I think he did get elected because it's always been somewhat unclear that Is he's that the kingpin. Is that when he was the daredevils? The Daredevil uh, bad guy still? Or now he's Spider-Man? He's predominantly a Daredevil ba- uh, villain ever since the 70s, ever since Frank Miller introduced him as that. Because Daredevil's villains were, frankly, terrible yeah. before him. 
Anyways, while at Ravencroft, the inmate Mr. Hyde becomes obsessed with him and grabs him in his cell to get him to transform into the man-wolf. Hyde is quickly subdued by staff member Misty Knight and taken to solitary. I guess those two are just buddies now. Remember that time you took your arm off and almost gave you to uh, that <laughs> The Dima Goblin? Yeah, good times. When Fisk hires criminals to operate as Ravencroft staff members, Jameson confronts him. Fisk is able to blackmail Jameson with video footage of him killing guards as Manwolf while under Carnage's control. Jameson then tells Misty that due to the trauma of what he did under Carnage's control, he's too afraid to transform into the Manwolf. You know, from that specific time, not all the other times it's gone terribly. Killing those guys was fine, but taking your arm off was too, too Ravencroft much. Ravencroft <laughs> consultant Norman Osborne, who's no longer evil thanks to the machinations of the Sin Eater, okay, who gotcha. shot him and purified him of his sin by shooting him. Yep, tracks. Fair. It's <laughs> how I get purified. Yeah, same. Anyways, Norman Osborne frees Hyde and provides him with a shiv to kill Jameson. <laughs> Though Osborne's true goal is to get Jameson to transform into Manwolf, which he eventually succeeds. A week later, Fisk appoints Jameson as the new Warden of Ravencroft. I don't know what Osborne's plan was there. I don't know if it was like, you will face your fear and become the Manwolf, or he's like, I am free of sin now. Kill the Wolfman. <laughs> Here's a wooden shiv. <laughs> it feels way too weird being free of sin. I need to do something, but I don't want to do it. It's actually a running plot right now that he kind of wants to not be anymore, or he's trying to uh, get his memories erased of his time as the Green Goblin mm. because he can't handle feeling guilty, which he's never really felt before. He's like, oh my God, I did all those terrible things. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to remember it. I just want to forget it all happened. Everyone's like... You know that's going to go badly, right? Like, that's never gone well Anytime you got amnesia and forgot you were the goblin. It's like, yeah, but I feel bad now. <sighs> Join the club. Anyways, cool. that's Manwolf. The Morbius is somehow less terrible werewolf equivalent. Um, quick break? Yep, quick break. So we read Captain America, what was it, 403 to 408... 402 to 408, something around so like that. It's 402 to 408. Uh, yeah. It is known as the Cap Wolf Saga. It is, or I guess just Cap Wolf. Cap Wolf. It is a relatively famous Captain America story or just comic book story in the sheer like, what did I just read? Kind of storytelling. It was written by a man named Mark Grunwald, who I'm going to talk about extremely briefly just because Mark Grunwald is an extremely important character in Marvel Comics history, like, person, who doesn't get the same level of credit as, like, you know, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Frank Miller, mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. Grunewald, I believe, started around the same time as Miller. He was an editor. He was a writer. Uh, nicknamed Grooney. He... Oh, Grooney. He uh, introduced the character of Quasar, but, like, 10 to 15 years before he ever got the Quasar book... He introduced him as Marvel Boy and would occasionally just bring forward this character being like, it's a Mark Grunewald book, time to bring in <laughs> Wendell Vaughn. And then eventually got permission. He had just earned enough credit to, they're like, all right, basically you can do whatever book you want. He's like, I want to do Quasar. I want to do this book that I've been setting up since For the all 70s, thinking I was never going to get a shot at it. And it ended up being, I want to say like 60 issues long. Like okay. it was a long, fantastic run. If we do a cosmic season, Quasar gets an entire episode to himself. At least. Anyways, Grooney worked, I believe, at Marvel Comics his entire writing career and maybe the biggest Marvel Comics fan ever, ever. Hmm. When he died, he had some of his ashes uh, mixed in with into the printing press of a run of Squadron Supreme, which was the book that he kind of considered his... Magnum Opus. It's it's not Watchmen, but it's from that same vein okay. as Watchmen. Mm -hmm. Of here's an alternate universe. We can do wild stuff because it's none of your main characters, and we're going to explore the nature of superheroism. Weird. It's good. There's just a dime a dozen of those in the '80s. I don't mean to knock on it, but he might be most famous beyond just the fact that he is now literally part of comic books. Like that's how much he loved comic books. Of, uh, he is responsible for the longest Captain America run in history. Okay. I don't remember if it's 10 or 12 years. This is towards the tail end of that. But yeah, he wrote this 
forever. The second longest is uh, Ed Brubaker, who created like the Winter Soldier and stuff, yeah. who did eight years, I think, and was very openly like, I don't want to be Grunewald. <laughs> it, it's kind of one of those things that it feels like people who had the opportunity are specifically choosing not to. Okay. Partially because after like eight years, that's a lot of Captain America and partly because Grooney. Mm-hmm. It is a lot of Captain America. Uh, so for going into this and being like, okay, it's Cap Wolf. Captain America is being turned into a werewolf. Man, I really enjoyed this little storyline. I don't know about you guys, but like was I was kind of taken aback by how good it really was. I was not concerned because, again, I, I've talked about how much I like Grooney, but... I wasn't sure because I was a little bit worried of, you know, we've read some Roy Thomas Doctor Strange, which is just a beautiful combination of creator and book from this same era that somehow ended up being terrible. So there was always the chance this was going to be the vampiric versus. Mm-hmm. And it was not that. No. It's works. The art is a little weird. It's like. The artist felt, I think, I want to say Rick Levins. I, I, I'm i not being mean to them. It's perfectly functional art, but it seemed like it was somewhere stuck between wanting to be old school Marvel, Sal Buscema, you know, Kree Skull War kind of art that was the standard and the image art that was the popular mm. of the day. Like it wasn't Jim, Le- uh, Jim Lee or Rob Liefeld, but it was kind of edge in that direction. See, I was going to bring up the art just in the fact that I feel like my perfect version of this story would have been uh, done by uh, Sinkovitz. Oh my god. Sinkovitz would have been incredible in this. Like, I think that's the perfect version of this story, but what are you gonna do? Maybe Mike Mignola. Oh, that'd be good. No, you're right, Sinkovitz. After we saw how Sinkovitz does werewolves, I'll do. I'll let him do any werewolf story he wants to do. With how many werewolves are on panel at one time in some of them, though, it would almost be too busy with his style. Yeah, there's a lot happening in this book. So, for a quick awareness for those of you who haven't read Cap Wolf, because that's most of the world, uh, Captain America decides to hunt down John Jameson, who's gone missing like a month before, but because he's Cap, he just hasn't gotten around to it. Like, I'm really busy, but dude's my friend and my pilot. But in fairness, his girlfriend is missing, and he hasn't bothered to go looking on that one. I think they gave a reason in the beginning, but I don't remember what it was. I don't remember. Uh, he teams up with Dr. Druid, because Dr. Straight up, because Dr. Strange is unavailable. <laughs> so this is the Dr. Druid that is six foot seven. And 300 pounds, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's stacked. <laughs> I don't. I don't know the story why he looks that young. He had mentioned it like uh, this. Uh, issue. We mentioned it way back in Doctor in the Doctor Druid episode that thanks to time travel shenanigans, after uh, getting messed up by getting caught up in a war against Kang, right? The power level difference. I mean, we've known this for a while, but seeing the power level difference between him in this book and Doctor Strange in any book, <laughs> it's very much different. It, he, he strikes me more of like a, a Dresden Files like PI like sure I'll help you and then he heads out he's well that's what he's supposed to be he's not the fun. Sorcerer Supreme no I no. I really enjoyed it it felt like old school wizards like they're not th- they're like they can do stuff but you gotta give them time to like figure that out because like they'll die <laughs> I just <laughs> love that dude is giant and yoked, and as soon as combat starts, he's like, Dips. I can't get hit. I am just a little precious porcelain flower. Which is funny, because he used to spar the Black Knight. Like, he used to be an actual fist fighter kind of guy. Yeah. And then, you know, gets his throat cut, and he's like, that's fine. I do like that he's like, oh, I've been meaning to make peace with the Avengers again, and Cap's like, and us, you! Last time they saw him... He took over the team by manipulating all of their minds, making Monica Rambeau look inept at her job. Of course, he picks the black lady to make look bad at her job so he can seize power and gets them caught up in a war between Kang and his sometimes girlfriend, Ravona. Yes. It's 
it was a little bit sad that I knew exactly what they were referencing when we hit that part. And then gets, <laughs> there's not that many Dr. Druid stories. And then, like, it gets destroyed in the time stream and comes back as a young football player. A precious porcelain flower. <laughs> I guess maybe I've died, like, twice now. I don't want to do it again. I, you know, that's fair. I appreciated how down low they kept all of the werewolf cameos. Like, there was a bunch of werewolves that showed up, but... It didn't have to be any of those characters. Yeah, we get they, some they Wolf bring Spain, them in. We get some Feral, although Feral is entirely there just so they can use Cable because he was very popular at the time. Mm -hmm. There is some hardcore levels of um, it's the 90s, let's cross over our more popular characters into our mid-level selling books so we'll jump. Wolverine's barely a part of this book. He's on every cover for the first like three or four issues. But I, I did enjoy, though, how it was just like, yeah, we just there's werewolf showing up and attacking and oh yeah i guess if you're paying attention it looks kind of like wolfsbane pay off a little bit later oh it turns out it was wolfsbane yeah but it didn't have to be wolfsbane and it was still worked hmm. side note i don't know where it came from we never when jack russell leaves at the end like do you want to be not a vampire or not a werewolf anymore? And he's like, no, I've gotten used to it. I've got my rides here. And he jumps on the back of a motorcycle from a guy who is not seen on any other panel, who has not been part of this story or from what I can tell any story and leaves without a word. Let's <laughs> let's clear this up a little bit more. He goes, I don't think it would work on me. Plus, I've gotten used to it. But he's like, my my werewolfism is from a family curse, and I have a feeling this isn't going to affect that. And then he jumps shirtless onto the back <laughs> of a motorcycle being driven by a guy a that large, looks like Freddie Mercury. I was going to say, a large mustache, man. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a good time. Like, I'm okay, I'm 100% not making fun of the idea of Jack Russell being gay. It'd actually be kind of a fun way to do this, but... It was out of that nowhere. was his boyfriend, right? Like, that was just his ah. random mystical motorcycle boyfriend. I was reading through it, and I was like, wow, sudden gay panel. Not a problem, but wasn't expecting this. <laughs> oh, Grooney. <laughs> also, like, the panel after that is just Cap talking to the mayor, and the mayor's like, you know those people that, you know, wasn't their fault because they were being turned the worlds and mind-controlled that murdered all those other people on the highway? Yeah, they're all dead, so you don't have to, you don't have to, like... Anything. Just leave. We're fine. Just go. Yeah, he's You're like, good. No, the cops are going to be here. He's like, oh, okay. Also, one of the, the werewolf that was standing behind him in the side panel with the black and white, I first was like, is that straight up demon? And then it sh <laughs> turns around. I was like, oh, no, we're fine. Because it looked like they had hooked legs and like, horns. I was like, where did this come from? <laughs> just a demon here. <laughs> and moon hunter or whatever. We don't talk the, about All this. the silver. Yeah. It's just random, like. Yeah, whatever, I can take out Captain America. I'm a professional werewolf hunter, I guess, that's being mind-controlled by Dr. Druid's crappier cousin. I really wanted Moon Knight to show up and punch Moon Hunter. <laughs> Instead, Moon Hunter becomes Captain America's new... Buddy. Buddy, pilot. That was a thing I forgot about. The Avengers Sky Cycles. Oh, right. That just... It was just a thing for a while that every once in a while there was the like sky cycle or the sky sled sometime, which was basically just a box with a jets and a uh, yeah. windshield that they could fly around on. It is the least cool looking <laughs> hover bike I have ever seen. And if you ever talk to someone who was a teenager and reading comics back in the 80s, they will argue endlessly how importantly awesome the sky cycles are. It's the Vespa of the sky. Yes, <laughs> but the Vespa's at least sleek. Yeah. It has curves. It's, it's the boxy Vespa Alpha edition of the sky. Just, okay, so I'm trying to think. Random Druid man, whose whole shtick seems to be he's pissed off that everyone thinks Dr. Druid is cooler than him, and let that sentence just sit for a second. He's like, why am I knockoff Dr. Druid? How did my life get to be this terrible? <laughs> Teams up with Nightshade, who is a random Captain America villainess who sometimes works with the Red Skull. 
and was in Daredevil season two. Really? You, I it's I think they give the gal the same name that's providing uh, stuff for uh, what's his name Bushmaster. For, no, no, uh, no uh, uh, Tank Nuke. No, no, not Nuke. Oh, uh, to oh, not Daredevil. Um, Luke Cage. She might have appeared in some Luke Cage stuff too. That's a uh, that's not a completely unique thing. They used to share villains a lot more, just in the street level characters. Yeah, I think she was giving some sort of herbal concoction to Bushmaster in Luke Cage season two. Red Skull at the era of this, because I'm pretty sure she was working with Red Skull at one point. No, she was working with uh, Superior, who is a different fascisty Captain America villain. Who Grunewald liked to have like, here's your main Captain America villain, Superior, Red Skull, whoever, and then here's like the B team of minions that work for them. That side story at the end of each of those comics was. Wild. <laughs> I was kind of more compelled by it at times, but also it was weird and problematic. Um, yeah. 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 Not, and like, we only got the, not even the middle part. Like, one thing Grunewald was very good at was working in long form plot lines over the course of his books. So we don't know how long Diamondback was involved in these things. We don't know when Crossbones kidnapped her or like how many. I mean, as I said, he wrote this for 10 to 12 years, and I think this is towards the end of it. So we don't know how long that story's been being worked up to that point. And like, okay, so I've been listening to podcasts about MK Ultra and like weird attempts at mind control people have done that is basically what Crossbones was doing here. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually work, but it makes sense that that would come up in a story in the 90s. It does make me feel for Diamondback, who is my Captain America's least interesting girlfriend. I think the the part I like the least was like, there's a lot that we don't see. It's just implied that it took place over like a month or something. Yeah. And then later on when Crossbones is describing what he did, he's like, yeah, she's my little love slave. It's I'm uncomfortable. Like, I'm like, yeah. ooh, uh, no. But I was, I'm curious to see what happens next. I wanted to know why it was at the end of the Captain America runs. Like, why are these connected? What's going on? It's the B-plot of the Captain America stuff. I mean, Red Skull, Crossbones is a major Captain America villain. Uh, the the woman, Diamondback, is his girlfriend. sometimes girlfriend. The one that Wikipedia, at least, claims John Jameson left over. Also, I want to know more what's going on with D-Man, who is the... Oh, Yeah. D-Man. D-Man is Dennis Dunphy, a former world-class wrestler that got superpowers and became Captain America's ally with a costume purposely based off of a combination of Wolverine and the original yellow Daredevil outfit. I think we've talked about him before. He's fun. He also uh, is... He has some kind of mental illness. I don't remember what. I don't think it's schizophrenic, but it's... He's got something going on. Yeah, and as a result of various real-life things that can happen when you have hardcore mental illnesses, has become homeless at various times in his life, and at one point became a superhero for the homeless. Like, that was specifically, I protect this large-scale tent city, Mm -hmm. whatever. He does later on get some mental help and return to wrestling and come out as gay. which really pissed off Fox News. And I was like, you didn't even know who D-Man was. Shut up. And we came across him way earlier. He came up in the Avengers book that we read with Morgan Le Fay because there's a gag because that's when he was homeless Mm. that no one wanted to sit next to him because... Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not problematic. I'm saying that... I I don't know. I mostly just keep going back to the fact that this was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. 
I had faith in this book. I knew that you were very much like, sure, Zach, whatever. Uh, I do love that randomly we get a, like, four-page Infinity War crossover where evil Cap doppelganger shows up and Cap just murders him. It made no... Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was wild. I was like, oof, he just went... Oh, he just got impaled on that shield. Ooh, that's no good. Okay. Like, brainstem first into Razor Shield. It's like, oh, the story's over. We all won. I mentioned Spider Doppelganger. He comes from this same crossover. You've probably never heard of the Infinity War comic book, have you? I think we have talked about it off podcast before, but I have never read it. Okay. So it is the direct sequel to the Infinity Gauntlet. The basic idea is Adam Warlock... Uh, thanks to weird time travel shenanigans, if we ever do a cosmic season, I'm so excited for the Adam Warlock episode. <laughs> uh, Adam Warlock has a evil future self named the Magus that occasionally comes into being. The Magus manages to come back into being after Warlock got control of the Infinity Gauntlet briefly. The Magus is Adam Warlock's veil yard. Yes. Just to make a really nerdy reference. Yeah. The, Whoa, six the doctor, Doctor Who. Um, evil and originally had a huge white afro, but has a top knot in Infinity War because it's the 90s. Mm-hmm. He ends up creating evil doppelgangers of every hero and sending them to attack. So that way they could have a random tie into Infinity War to try to get people to buy books without having to deeply tied in. Some books were heavily involved and actually like mattered to the Infinity War story. Mm-hmm. And other times, while Cap's being freed of being a werewolf, his evil doppelganger shows up and is immediately murdered. That happens. It was fast. We it watched it. Came out of nowhere and it ended just quickly. Just, they had no time for it. We have read some books where Cap has had to do some messed up brutal things, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, now that you mention it... <laughs> Oh, I just had to decapitate that guy with my shield. Oh my! <laughs> and now I've decapitated that guy with his shield. But it wasn't his. It wasn't. That's wasn't on Cap's him for shield. making his shield <laughs> yeah. that sharp. You can tell it's evil Cap because his sh- shield I is sharp. I will say the evil designs for almost everyone in Infinity War are universally terrible. It was interesting. They're will... all like that. <laughs> so my second big- biggest disappointment with Cap Wolf is once again related to the art. Falcon's be- mask. No, it's, I kept going through every issue looking for panels that they could use to make a killer Cap Wolf variant in Snap, and just none of them looked good. No, he does not look good as a werewolf. There are other versions, other artists that do a good job. I'm not knocking on Rick Levins, but he's also nothing to write home about. He is middle of the line for that era. I, I don't know him well enough. He might have gotten a lot better. A lot of artists who started at that time did because a thing to keep in mind, as I said, there's kind of hints of image. Those books were selling really well and uh, artists were being made to make their work look more like the image founders. So like there were, you know, people who'd been working since the seventies who uh, the editors were being like, you need to make it look like Rob Liefeld drew this, which is just so mean. I don't think Liefeld would do a bad Cap Wolf, to be honest. He did a bad Cap, so who knows? Um, there was no reason for Cable to be in this book other than <laughs> X-Force was selling really well. Yeah. yeah, Cable was weird. I was like, oh, hey, it's y- you. There is an interesting thing. Like One of the things they talk about in the uh, Marvel when it first came out was so revolutionary was like, oh, hey, they're all based in New York, so anyone could pop up in any book at any moment. And it would usually be, like, in a back panel. You'd see, like, Thor tra- flying by, being like, Gotta go fight a giant! Looks like the Man of Spiders has this! And, like, <laughs> take Strange off. walking by with takeout. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you got this? But in the 90s, it just became a way of, like, Alright, we're gonna have nonsensical crossovers for a moment here. I don't know if it's a great disappointment, I hate the 90s Falcon costume with the super weird mask that he's got with like the kind of two feathers. It's not good. No, it's not. It's not good. I, that's all I have to say on that subject. (laughs) It's not good. (laughs) 
I don't know if I have much else on this though. Like it was fun. It's it I was, was kind of hardcore when Druid had his face covered to get his throat slit. I was like, oof. That metal mask this, he had wearing was kind of cool too. Yeah. I was like, this feels darker just because of that. <laughs> also, cutting his neck open. Yeah. That, that, yeah. I was like, oh, wow, that just happened. Oh, they wouldn't they even just... show blood in the first panel when that random citizen got killed, but they showed all the blood when his neck got slit. I was like, oh, okay, that, that just happened. And I kind of legit thought he bought it for a little bit, because yeah. even though I knew Druid's history, I was like, whatever, he could die and come back. <laughs> <laughs> he does die and come back. But then he was just like, I stopped the bleeding through sheer force of will. And I was like, oh, you right. know what? Congrats. Fair. Good on you. He could be good. He's just... Not. I think he's great. I also like uh, older school Wolvie, where they were just able to sort of overcome his uh, healing factor and just knock him out by... Just by punching him in the head repeatedly? Yeah. yeah. I kind of miss that. Yeah, Wolverine used to almost die and be out for the rest of the issue if he took, like, three bullets. Mm -hmm. Which I make sound like nothing, but... It's still three bullets. Like, that's... Okay. Uh, next time, we are finally going to know fear and burn at the touch of the man-thing. Why? I don't want to burn. I don't. Don't, don't fear the man-thing, then. Don't fear the reaper. Don't fear the man-thing. Anyways, we will be reading the Steve Gerber run, which I don't have in order with me here. Turns out the books, because I just bought The Complete Man-Thing by Steve Gerber. Mm -hmm. And it just seems to be the complete man thing, including the run by Steve Gerber. But it's still going to be a lot. So it, it will include giant size man thing one through five. So you get giant size man thing. You get a giant size man thing and you get a giant size man thing. We all get a giant man size thing man one thing. through 22 and parts of Marvel Comics presents one through 12. And I think I'm missing something there. I mean, okay, so the, you get the point. There's going to be, oh, Adventure into Fear 11 through 19. Sweet. That is almost in reverse order of what we need to be doing here. But uh, we'll, we'll just be reading anything Steve Gerber did, Man-Thing related. Well, that's all the time we have set aside for our lesson a day. For those of you staying on the island, the nightly game of Minesweeper starts soon. Yeah. For everyone else, we hope your cruise back to the wild world of nerdery is swift and safe and super fun. Bon voyage. Thank you for listening to this episode of New Byland. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, that would also be super helpful. As always, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network and would greatly appreciate it if you could go check out all of our sister shows over at earworm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. A big special thanks to Ian Ford for our theme song and music. We'll catch you next time.